You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org. Good morning. It's good to see you. Happy Father's Day. I ask you to please take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 90. If you don't have a Bible, you can use your phone. It's totally cool. And, or you can grab one of the Bibles there on the floor next to you and turn to Psalm 90 or page 522. Page 522. Well, we're in the second week of our series, Learning to Lament. And our church has been through a lot of suffering. Um, a lot of pain has been happening in our body. And God has given us an entire category in the Bible for walking through these things together as the body of Christ. To pour out, lament is to give these honest, vocalized emotions and thoughts of your grief, of your pain, of your sadness poured out to God. And Jeremiah shows us in the book of Lamentations last week, what we saw is how he poured out his heart to the Lord. And then felt also at the same time the power of hope and what we know as in the gospel and the great faithfulness of God and and God's love and God's fresh mercies. And and now over the next few weeks as a church, we're going to look at the various psalms of lament. And we get a glimpse of the prayers and the songs of God's people that they had in their suffering and their pain and in their grief. And these psalms are a passageway to us, really helping us learn to lament together because I think we as American Christians, we are vastly underdiscipled in this area. Typically because our, on a worldwide scale and, the, and in the scheme of human history, our lives are incredibly easy compared to everyone else, at least for now. But then the diagnoses come in, major disappointment unfolds in our lives, pain, suffering, and we must learn to lament together. Because the truth is we are either suffering now or we are about to suffer or we know someone who is. And cancer and death and illness, chronic pain and and heartache, betrayal, loss, injustice in the world, our personal fears. God has given us a pathway through these things and it is lament. And today in Psalm 90, which is a Psalm of Moses, we see that in our suffering, in our lament, I think we are really wondering something. Can I be happy again? Can I be happy again? How can I be happy again after what's happened? I don't want to be fake. How can I be truly, supernaturally glad again? These words like glad and happy and joy. Sometimes in our culture, we tend to think, oh, happiness is superficial. It's momentary. Joy is the real. No, these are used the same throughout the scriptures. Happiness, joy, gladness. These are all friends together in the Bible. And Psalm 90 shows us how we can be happy again. The Psalm of Lament. So as you do every week, if you're able, let's stand together for the reading of God's word. And we'll begin in verse one. And the Holy Spirit tells us through our brother Moses, Lord, you have been our refuge in every generation. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, you are God. You return mankind to the dust, saying, return, descendants of Adam. For in your sight, a thousand years are like yesterday that passes by. Like a few hours of the night, you end their lives, they sleep. 
They're like grass that grows in the morning and the morning it sprouts and grows by evening it withers and dries up. For we are consumed by your anger. We are terrified by your wrath. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days ebb away under your wrath. We end our years like a sigh. Our lives last 70 years, or if we are strong, 80 years. And even the best of them are struggle and sorrow. Indeed, they pass quickly and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger? Your wrath matches the fear that is due you. Teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. Lord, how long? Turn and have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your faithful love so that we may shout with joy and be glad all our days. Make us rejoice for as many days as you have humbled us, for as many years as we have seen adversity. Let your work be seen by your servants and your splendor by their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be on us. Establish for us the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. Let's pray together. Holy Father, help us now. Help us to learn how to lament together. Help us to see a glimpse of your glory from Psalm 90 here today, Lord. Satisfy us with your faithful love. Help us, King Jesus. And it's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You can always tell when, when someone's a tourist somewhere. They've got that big camera bag they're carrying. They're on family vacation. And you see all the kinds of neat pictures that people take at certain places. And I, I love them. I think they're great. You go to Egypt and people are taking pictures with the pyramids. What do they do? They go and stand at the right angle, the right space to make it look like they're holding the pyramids because we all believe it. Or you got the classic leaning tower of Pisa. They're, oh, look at me, I'm holding up the tower. Because the right scale and the right frame, the right angle, it makes massive objects appear like nothing. And, and then the right angle, the right scale, the right frame, it can make these smaller things appear gigantic. It's all in the sense of scale. And in our sufferings, our sense of scale can get tilted to where the almighty God now begins this almighty, eternal, all-loving God begins to seem like this little thing. And then our light and momentary afflictions begin to appear to us like these gigantic things that there is no way this is happening. It's too big. It's all in the sense of scale. And to be truly happy again, we need a source that's big enough. And Moses helps us. And it begins by seeking the great godness of God. Look at verse one. Moses helps us get the sense of scale right again in verse one. Lord, you have been our refuge in every generation. So God has been and continues to be and will be a, a shelter for his people. This word also means dwelling place, a house, refuge, dwelling place, no matter what happens in this world, 
no matter what comes our way, no matter what the doctor passes down, the truth is God is our refuge, our dwelling place. And this means practically right now, God is never off limits to his people. God is never stiff arming you. God is never that far away. In every generation, past, present, future, he is a place of calm for his children. And this is a Psalm of Moses. David didn't write this. This is from Moses. And you think about what Moses has seen. Moses suffered. If you're familiar at all with the Old Testament, you've seen Moses' sufferings. Moses had his share of grief and pain. He endured the nation of Israel, their wanderings for 40 years, their unfaithfulness to God. I mean, he saw God's people turn from God and worship idols while he's on the mountain getting communication from God to give to the people. And he saw God's discipline rain down on them. Even a rebellion tried to rise up and kick Moses out. And then God opened up the earth and swallowed the rebellion leaders. Exodus to Deuteronomy is filled with accounts of pain and suffering. But these don't cloud Moses' mind. These don't tilt the sense of scale for Moses. He still looks at the Lord and says, you have been our refuge in every generation. He still sees in plain view the great godness of God and all of his glory. Because here's what happens. Just like the nation of Israel, who they've been set free from slavery in Egypt, they want to go back because they've got good cantaloupes there. We are tempted to murmur and question God behind his back, so to say, or under our breath or, or in our minds. But lament teaches us to speak directly to God, just like we saw in Jeremiah and just like we're going to see for these next few weeks, to pour out and process right before God as Hebrews says, to go to the throne of grace so we can receive mercy and help in time of need. Moses reminds us that God is our refuge and dwelling place. I love those words. That, that, so let's think about just dwelling place. That feeling you get when you get home and you plop down on your couch, that is the biblical idea of dwelling place. That sense of relief, you had a hard day at work, you had horrible meetings, you had a lot of drama, or you know the kids were crazy all day like kids, t- kids tend to do. The kids go to bed, you come down and you lay down on your couch. That's dwelling place. God's presence, being with God, going to God. He is like our front porch and he's also like our nuclear bunker. Refuge, shelter, Dwelling place. He's our tornado cellar and our glass of sweet tea. A shelter in our suffering, a home for all of our days. And it's so important to remember this about God because in suffering, we are tempted to see when our vision gets blurred about God and who he is, we're tempted towards amnesia, that God hasn't been our refuge for every generation. That now all of a sudden God is abandoning his dwelling placeness for us. But Moses reminds us about this very personal reality about God in verse one. And then he takes us cosmic in verse two. He goes from the nitty gritty of daily life, our refuge, our home, our dwelling place. And then he takes us to the expanse of the universe in verse two. Before the mountains were born, 
before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, you are God. How do we even think about and calculate eternity to eternity? I thought it was just eternity. It's even bigger than we can fathom. Eternity to eternity. Infinity times infinity. You are God. In the rubble of life, in the midst of suffering, Moses looks to creation. While he is writing this somewhere with sand under his toenails, walking with a complaining nation, leading millions of people, he takes time to write a poem about creation. Everest, Kilimanjaro, Sinai. And the words here, the earth and the world, are our little blue marble floating in the expanse and the universe. Why is Moses writing about these things? Because suffering has a way of microscoping our lives where we just zoom in and lose sight of everything else. And Moses wants us to maintain a wide angle IMAX lens of God and what God is doing. Moses points us to the creation for the same reason people go to the Grand Canyon instead of just settling through Google images. Why do people go to the Grand Canyon? Why do people climb mountains? Why do I watch planet Earth? Why do we go snorkeling? Because there, there is something about creation that gives us a sense of awe and wonder and excitement. We look at majesty, at mountains, at coral reefs for awe, for comfort. There is a sense of woeness in the creation that you see it and your breath is taken away. So Moses is saying, how much more for the one who created everything? How much more woeness must there be in looking at the creator? And look at what he says. Before the mountains were born, he metaphorically is saying, you gave birth to Everest. I'm glad this is not a Mother's Day message. Imagine that birth. God made the universe. Haley's comet came from God's heart and mind. Jupiter exists because God wanted it to. And before all these wonders came to be, God was there before the mountains, before the earth, before the world before black holes, before Saturn's rings, before earthworms. God was there. Do you feel any sense of wonder about this? Sure, the Grand Canyon's breathtaking. Sunsets can make you marvel and post about it on Instagram. Does the eternal God ever leave you speechless? Does God ever leave you in a sense of awe and wonder and speechlessness. Speechlessness is a sweet worship to God. Moses wants us to sense the bigness of God, that he made all of this. And and here we are in the middle of suffering. We remember the greatness of God, that he isn't outmatched. He isn't outgunned. 
that he's eternal, all-powerful, and he, this God, the one before the mountains were born, he is your refuge. He is your dwelling place. There is really no other God like this. Even all the other false gods of human history, they don't love their worshipers. They don't invite them, I'm your dwelling place. And we need him because we are so limited, so weak, and so frail. And we return to the dust. Look at verse 3. Nemos is going to contrast us with God. Because sadly, we need these reminders. Verse 3, you return mankind to the dust. Saying, return, descendants of Adam. For in your sight, a thousand years are like yesterday that passes by like a few hours of the night. He formed Adam from the dust. And when we die, we go back to the dust. Placed in the ground, covered with a blanket of dirt. We blink and it's over. I used to not believe people when they would say, oh man, time flies like your kids. Before you know it, they're in college and they're gone. Empty nester. You'd be like, yeah, I don't know about that. I, I mean, I, I, I believe it. My daughter, she's eight. It just feels like yesterday she was a little baby. Time just flies. We blink and before we know it. And I love that it says right here, a thousand years is like yesterday to God. A thousand years is a thousand years to us. But to God, it's like a blink because he's got a thousand of a thousand of a thousand of a thousand years of a thousand years. He's eternal. A millennia is like a moment to God. How much happens in a thousand years? Kingdoms come and go. Empires rise up. Just think about the inventions that have happened in just the past 50 years. I remember when holding my, my baby girl, there's a picture, and I'm holding her uh, on one of our sofas, and the phone that's over there is not an iPhone. <laughs> like, what ancient device was I using back then? <laughs> thousand years to God, it's nothing. That's like a night shift to him. Like a watch in the night. He's eternal. We are so feeble and weak, and no matter how many fad diets we try, no matter how much butter we put in our coffee, it's amazing that we do this now. I, I just feel like that can't be healthy for you, but whatever. No matter how many vitamins or surgeries we have, eventually we go back to the dust. One author reflecting on Death said, you know what? A hundred years, every hundred years, there's a new batch of people on earth. Every hundred years, there's a new batch of people on earth. Verse 10, he says, our lives last 70 years. Or if we're strong, took a lot of vitamins, 80 years. But even the best of them are struggle and sorrow. Indeed, they pass quickly. Right now, the normal lifespan, average lifespan in the U.S., 79 it's wild to think about. It's not that far away from any of us. Some of us are a lot closer. Some of us will make it past 79. Some of us will not. I'm almost halfway to that. And there, these years, these 70, 80 years, they are filled with love 
And they're filled with joy and they're filled with laughter and great memories and, and great photos. But even the best of these, even the best, he says in verse 10, there is struggle and sorrow. There hasn't been a single year that didn't have struggles and sorrow and pain and grief, either our own or someone that we know and, and love. It makes you sit back and think this life is like sand falling through my fingers. It is leaving. I can't slow it down. I can't stop it. And so Moses, in a way, he's showing us we should lament this reality. And in our grief and suffering, we ask God for this in verse 12. Since all this is true, verse 12, teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. As we learn to lament, we are now looking to God and saying, help me take stock, take inventory, and to realize I have a number of days. And help me put value on the days that I have. Teach me to number my days. We are not going to live on this side of the resurrection forever. Beloved, we need God to teach us this. That's why he says, teach us. He's looking to God with the chorus of us, God's people behind him. Moses is leading us in song and saying, teach us to number our days now, God. God, you teach us because this is not an instinct we have. This is not a habit hardwired into us. We waste our days, our moments, our time. This is why people at the end of their lives lament that they work too much, not enough time with friends and family, wish they would have taken more vacations. We putter around on Facebook and social media, staring at our, our phones while our kids ask if we'll play with them. We chronically trade through social media. We trade our present for other people's pasts. We trade our present for other people's pasts. We trade our now for other people's back then. Lament brings our lives, what's left of them, on this side of the return of Christ to the forefront. And now we are to bring them to God and ask God, help me steward these rightly. Help me live wisely. Help me, as the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 5, pay careful attention then to how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time, numbering your days. Why? Because the days are evil. They're fleeting. They're gone. These days right now, they are tainted with sin in this fallen world. So don't be foolish. Don't waste them. But understand what the Lord's will is. Don't be foolish. Live wisely. Number your days. Realize, that, realize they have a number. And live with wisdom in your heart because eternity is around the corner. That's why it says, now look at verse 7. Verse 7 in Psalm 90 knowing eternity is around the corner, for we are consumed by your anger. We are terrified by your wrath. As he reflects on the nation of Israel, he has seen people be consumed by God's wrath. He has seen the unfaithful be swallowed up, literally, by God's wrath. Around verse eight, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence for all our days ebb away under your wrath. We end our years like a sigh. We can't hide our sins from God. 
Some of us spend a lot of our days trying to manage our sin. We think we can. We may have secrets that no mere human being knows, but there are no secrets from God. The secret is that we don't have any secrets. All of our sins are laid before him. And a day will come when all sins are accounted for. And either you will be consumed by his wrath and his judgment and his justice will rain down or or they can be paid for by Jesus Christ. Eternity is coming for us all. Jesus, this is exactly what he came to do. The eternal son of God became a man and he died on the cross, setting our sins and our secret sins and our iniquities on himself. And he was consumed by the wrath of God, paying for our sins in full and now granting forgiveness, granting freedom and granting new life to anyone and everyone who would believe in him. So you must believe in the risen Christ. And you must believe that he did this for you. It's one thing to believe, oh, I know Jesus died, I know those things. No, but to believe that Jesus died for my sins, paying for my sins, my secret sins, my iniquities. Because either Christ pays for your sins or you do. Number your days because eternity is coming for you. Paul and Moses are saying the same thing here. Make most of the time, live wisely. Teach us to number our days, verse 12, so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. Paul says it this way, so that we can understand what the will of the Lord is. When we're saying, teach me to number my days, we're saying, teach me to live in a way that honors you in these days. Teach me to live wisely in these days. Because you could, we could have all kinds of lessons we lay out before the Lord. Teach me to love to the fullest these days that I have left. Teach me to be present. Teach me to give more than I receive. Teach me to be patient. Te- teach me to be kind in these days that I have left. Teach me to serve. Teach me to live toward eternity. Teach me to honor you and to love you. Teach me your will, God, in these few days that I have left. Lament reminds us that we are not God. Lament reminds us of our humanity. It reminds us to seek God and his will, to to recall the greatness of God, to remember his awesomeness, his power, his eternal nature, his, his creation, and to number our days, to maximize them, and to seek the great love of God. Look at verse 13. Lord, how long? This is the the request, the prayer in our laments. How long, God? How long will this go on? Turn and have compassion on your servants. There's nothing wrong with praying this. Lord, how much longer do I have to suffer this? Nothing wrong with asking God, because you are gracious, because you are compassionate, will you turn and will you change this? I'm praying this for our friends. Lord, how much longer will my friend have to endure this? Heal them. Lord, how long will this sadness affect my family? Turn and have compassion on us, Lord. I've been in these hospital rooms. 
these bedsides, these counseling rooms, these coffee shops, praying this prayer, Lord, how long? Turn and have compassion on us, Lord. We appeal to God as a creator, as the from eternity to eternity God, who is gracious and compassionate. We appeal to his character and he may grant your request. He may not. He is God after all. And after all, he is God. So what does Moses say? How long turn and have compassion on your servants? Verse 14. Can I be happy again? Verse 14. Satisfy us in the morning with your faithful love so that we may shout with joy and be glad all of our days. Moses says, I want to be happy again, Lord. And I'm seeking satisfaction, but notice the source of the satisfaction. It's not in the suffering changing. It's not in his circumstance, though we should pray for that. That's what he prays for in verse 13. Lord, change it. How long? Turn and have compassion on us. But he also, at the same time, through the tears in verse 13, also seeks satisfaction in God. Satisfy us in the morning with your faithful love. He's asking, God, satisfy me with you. Satisfy us with you. Let your faithful love, let your mercy, let your kindness, may your love be sweet to me. He's asking, sweeten, sweeten my sorrows with the awareness of your love. Joy in the rubble of life is possible. And here's the answer. How can I be happy again? Can I? How can a suffering person be happy again? Truly glad. It's in the almighty God. Sufferers should tuck this prayer into their hearts and have it ready to wield it. And we should pray for those who are suffering. Satisfy them with your love, Lord. Satisfy them this morning with your faithful love. Because listen, it is one thing to know God loves you to be able to pass a quiz from Sunday school. But it is something else altogether to know experientially to be satisfied with the love of God. One of the best prayers we can squeeze out in our suffering is a prayer for satisfaction. God, let me be satisfied with your faithful love. Not what I think I need. Not what I wish I had. Not what I think would be best. Not what I wish would happen. But satisfied, contented, filled with your faithful love. Beloved, Moses is showing us how to lament toward the Lord. Not just in what we're saying to him, but in going to him. Satisfy me. Moving towards him. Like that woman in the Gospels who's chasing Jesus down and seeking help. So we go to him seeking help. Ask God to make the mercies of the gospel satisfying to you. Set, Lord, let my new identity in Christ be satisfying to me. Let the eternal forgiveness that I now have in Christ, would that satisfy me? 
with the fact that I am a co-heir with you and I will reign with your son forever in the new earth. Will you satisfy me with my future? God, will you satisfy me that there is now no condemnation for me because I am in Christ Jesus? With the fact that I'm now filled with the Holy Spirit, would that satisfy me? Would that fill me with joy? Would that make me shout for joy all of my days? Because no matter what happens to my body, I will get a new body and I will be with you for all of eternity. Seek satisfaction at all costs and seek it in God. Discover supernatural joy through tears. The tears are in verse 13. Lord, how long? And then satisfy me in the morning. Satisfy me with you. Is God's faithful love satisfying to you? Is the cross of Jesus Christ, the unyielding love of God, so that he would love so much that he'd give his only son, his resurrection for you, him being alive for you in heaven right now and his love radiating down on you through the Holy Spirit, leading you and guiding you. Is that enough? Is that satisfying to you? Is the gospel great to you? And if, if we're honest at times, it is. We feel so satisfied with God and with who he is. And at times, it's not. It's not for me. I struggle. We struggle. You know why we struggle? This might be one of the most profound things you hear today. You know why we struggle? Because we are not God. God is the only person who never struggles being satisfied in God. We struggle because we are humans. Because we live in a sinful world. We still battle our sins we struggle because we are not God, simply that. And that's why this prayer is here. You know why Moses is saying, satisfy us? Because he is not satisfied. So he's begging God, satisfy me with you because I'm not. You know why he prays in verse 15? Make us rejoice. You know why? Because I'm not rejoicing. So make me. I want to, but I can't do it. I'm not even able to rejoice. I'm not even able to be satisfied. So God, you have to move and you've got to satisfy me with your faithful love. God, you've got to move. You, you've got to make me rejoice because I want to, but I can't. Make me rejoice with you. My world is in shambles, tumbling apart. All the king's horses can't put me back together, but you can let your faithful love delight me again. The faithful love of God can withstand the sufferings we face in this world. Jesus' death shows it and his resurrection secures it. Satisfaction in God sustains us in our suffering, which is unavoidable. But what also is unavoidable for us who are in Christ is the faithful love of God. It is unavoidable. That's why he says now in verse 15, make us rejoice for as many days as you have humbled us, as many years as we have seen adversity. God can make us rejoice. 
for as many days as we suffer, as many years. And listen, and in the new earth to come, in the resurrection to come, we will outrejoice all of our sufferings. The 70, 80 years will be consumed by a millennia of rejoicing with God. And that's why Paul can say, this light momentary affliction for us is just preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. That's why I'm able to count all things as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, because I know these years of affliction are being swallowed up by the eternity to come. And once we begin to think that way, we will begin to have some of the strangest funerals on the planet. And we've seen them. I hope that we as Christians, that we have funerals that people just can't even fathom because we know where our hope is. We are satisfied with his faithful love. So we pray in verse 17, let the favor of the Lord our God be on us. Establish for us the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. You know what that means? God, will you let me not waste my life? Establish the work of my hands. Don't let me waste my life. This is what we pray and lament and we, we pray together. Lord, teach me to number my days. Satisfy me with you and don't let me waste my life. And it all begins with seeing the bigness of God, getting the sense of scale right again. Don't fall for the optical illusion that our suffering can bring, like a guy holding up the Tower of Pisa. Get God in focus. See his awesomeness and see his faithful love and plead to be satisfied with him. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.